You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that So I'm pretty excited about today. I got a really good response um, from people that called in with with some some questions questions and whatnot. It was a little bit weird. Um, My Google Voice started messing up yesterday. So at one point, I got a call. And it said something about somebody was calling, like, from Texas, and I didn't answer because I don't know anybody from there. And then two seconds later, I get a voicemail on my Google Voice that says, from, like, El Paso, Texas. And I'm like, well, that's a weird coincidence. <laughs> later, because I actually saved the names of people that are repeat callers and whatnot, I get a call from somebody named Andy. And I work with an Andy, and I'm like, oh, no, what's going on at work? Turns out it was somebody from the podcast trying to leave me a message after I have promised everybody, go ahead and call. It's not going to be weird. I'm not going to pick up the phone. It just goes straight to voicemail. So, Andy, I apologize for that. Sorry for making that weird. Um, I don't know if I got it fixed. I, I can't even find that setting anymore. I feel like things changed in there. I don't know. I can't find the please just go straight to voicemail so that I don't answer the phone. Anyways... Lots of questions. We may actually do back-to-back days. I'm not sure. We do have, I believe, training camp. So um, basically, I've got a bunch of questions, or I think three questions that I answered. And I feel like I did a good job of of trying to go in-depth on my answers. But then I got two more questions that I haven't spent a lot of time on. So I guess if we have time, I'll touch on those. Otherwise, I'll save them. But I don't know if we can do it tomorrow. I don't know. I don't know. We'll do something. We'll figure it out. Also, if you do not want me to play your voice, you better say so pretty early on because otherwise I'm just going to do it. So start off your voicemail by saying, please don't play my voice. In which case, by the way, you can just text me if you want. That would just make it easier for everyone Then I don't have to try to sift through and figure out whether you want me to. If you're calling me, you're signing your life away. I get to use it for whatever purposes I want. Sound good? Okay. Um, let's see. Let's, let's do this first. Um, I woke up this morning and I got a text message from a friend who, let's say, is we differ on socio-political issues some of the time. Nobody disagrees on everything all the time. But the bottom line is he said something that I think everybody can agree with, and that is that he's extremely exhausted by what's going on. And I think every, I mean, we've, we've felt that pretty much through 2020. And I'm, I'm, part of me is hoping that a good portion of the, the craziness and how hard this is has to do with just kind of everything combined. In other words, if we can kind of pull through this virus and this political election season and all that, and we can just keep it together a little bit longer, things will start to mend. I don't know if that's going to happen or if it's going to keep spiraling, but I had a thought. One thing that I know for sure is that the more bad stuff happens, the more we just kind of keep putting bad stuff out there, the more it spirals in the wrong direction. And it would be nice 
Not that we can change the whole world, because forget that. Half of these people I don't care about anyways. <laughs> just, just let them go. Just let them go. But for those that are interested, one thing that I've realized is nothing makes you feel better than doing something good for other people. I don't. I haven't flushed this out. I don't know. This is just early this morning. I got this, and I thought, you know what? We should do something. Last year, we did a thing where I collected money for a children's cancer foundation. That was a lot of fun. That was really awesome and cool. I don't, I don't know what the thing is, but I would like to do something, and I would like whoever needs some therapy, whoever needs to kind of just feel good about life again and about human beings again, I want to give the opportunity to, to, first of all, come up with something that we can all do together that is about giving back. And I, I'd rather it not be just like one big thing. We could do that again if you want, just collect money and give it somewhere. But it would be cool if we could think of like a, just a regular thing. Think like Mr. Beast, where his whole life is just giving stuff away. Obviously, we can't do that unless you guys want to start donating like a million dollars a month, in which case, yeah, we'll, we'll Mr. Beast it up. But um, I don't know. I, 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 I know that that would help me. And I, I know that it would help you. But it's just a matter of if you guys want to come along, Let's 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 do that. Let's forget everybody else. Let them do what they want to do. Right? You all rush to Kenosha and get into a big old civil war. That's your thing. I'm going a different direction. I want to help people. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know why. I don't know if it's just let's, you know, we can give away Packers gear to people that, you know, whatever or just I don't know. I I I've pretty much said all I know so far and I could probably just let it go at this point, but I really would like to do that somehow some way so anyways help me brainstorm that whether you want to just put it up in the group as an idea um we've got the discord that might be a good place to do that we could start up a separate discord channel or something where we discuss ideas and and how we can kind of gather together i mean it's it's a big audience man we've got literally thousands of people that listen to this i've got thousands of people that watch my youtube there's almost a thousand people in the facebook group um I think there's a little over a thousand people in my NFL draft group. We could try to get them involved. There's a lot of people that if we really wanted to, we could do some cool stuff. So I'm just putting it out there. I feel like that would be good for all of us. It's a it's I, it's a selfish endeavor. Make no mistake about it. It's going to help people, but the ultimate goal is I need it. So I don't want anyone thinking that I'm doing something that's not selfish. That would just ruin my image. Speaking of um, things that are self-serving, a big, giant, massive thank you to uh, Ben Rierick, as well as, and I'm upset, I, you know what, I saved your name after you changed it, so joke's on you, uh, Danish Cheesehead, but I am not going to let him ruin my opportunity to mess up your name. Give me one second here if I can find it. Oh, is it Michael? That would be boring. It's spelled different. We could say Mikkel. Maybe we'll go with, I don't know, there's, there's no way to like really throw some inflection into this. I mean, other than a Danish accent, but I'm not going to try to do that. That's just, I don't even know what that is. Now I want Danish. Man, like a cheese one. So good. Anyways, thank you, Danish Cheesehead, as well as Ben. Um, really do appreciate that. Also, because I do a terrible job of keeping track of who I already thanked, um, I think I said thanks to Josh, but we'll do it again. Thanks to Josh, Jeremy, and Ryan for hitting me up on Venmo explicitly after I said, please don't give me any money on Venmo, of course everybody's like, here's because you said you would feel guilty. I wanted to give you a little bit. So, you guys have been extremely generous over the last couple days. Um, 
things are pretty tough for a lot of people out there. I really, as soon as this virus thing hit, I just kind of assumed, you know what, everything's going to dry. I mean, I, I got told right out of the gate, hey, advertisers are just kind of done, right? Because, <laughs> you know, sports are not going right now. Businesses are suffering. Just brace for impact. And I was like, all right, well, that kind of sucks. And I just kind of assumed Patreon was going to go away because people are struggling and whatnot. And it's been kind of the opposite. People have been giving more. So, um, I don't know. Thank you. Okay, so questions, questions, questions. Let's take a break, and um, we're gonna lay into this. I'm excited because the the reason I love questions is because it really forces me to to look into stuff that I never really considered before. And that's, I mean, when I started this podcast, that's because this is the kind of stuff I was doing, like really deep dive into like some real nuance type things. And even if the questions are generally broad, it kind of just takes me down these paths, and it's like that's what I've been missing is these kinds of questions. So, anyways, let's quickly take a break. We'll come back and we'll launch in. I got a day off, so this is going to be a long episode. I promise you that. Although I should try to cut it short so I can do YouTube. I don't know. Whatever. I'm having fun. We're doing this. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Man, I, it's too, oh, so I, there's no actual, I don't even take a break. I just kind of write down a timestamp and then I just keep moving on. But for some reason I always take a break and then my mind starts thinking about stuff. And in that time, while I was literally taking a break during, while you were listening to commercials, I was trying to think about that thing that we could do together. And I started thinking it'd be kind of cool to just like have a, a Packers fan foundation. And then it dawned on me that, the acronym for that would be <laughs> and then I started thinking would that be the worst thing ever or the best thing ever because it's just it's ridiculous right because is basically like I don't care but of course the the idea is to be caring so it's kind of funny you know I, I kind of like that 
is that is that taking it too far as far as being ironic or is it is it funny enough that we should just go ahead and do that because i'm leaning toward let's just do that i don't know what our foundation is going to do but i think i don't know i kind of feel like i've halfway made up my mind what we're doing (laughs) ah the pff and the logo can be a guy with a Packers shirt shrugging. Eh. <laughs> I promise I really do care about this, but I also like things that are funny. Let's get to the questions. So the first question comes from, and he's going to say it anyway, so it's redundant, but we'll, we'll call it out. Jeremy from California. Hey, Ryan. This is Jeremy from California. Uh, my question is about personnel packages. Um, I understand 3-4, nickel dime. I know what they represent, but my question is more on the offensive uh, personnel packages. Um, I know 12 personnel is, is more of a, a run-heavy personnel, and, and 11 personnel is a lighter package for, like, passing situations. Um, but, and I'm not quite sure 22 personnel, but, but I, I'm, my question is, what do those numbers actually represent? Like 12 personnel, I think that represents, you know, the number of running backs and, and tight ends. Uh, I'm not quite sure which is which, what the one is, what the two is. Uh, a little clarification on that would be cool. Uh, love the show. Uh, keep up the good work. So I did um, address this a couple days ago, uh, what it means, but... Yeah, you, you pretty much got it right. Um, so you'll hear about 12, 21, 11. I mean, there's, I, I think I counted out 20 or uh, 10 different personnel packages that NFL teams use when I was kind of going through some of the research. But yeah, the, the first number is the number of running backs. The second number is the number of tight ends. And then by process of deduction, you can figure everything out because we know we have five offensive linemen and a quarterback. So if we have 11 personnel, that's one running back, one tight end. So we're at two, plus five offensive linemen brings us to seven, plus a quarterback brings us to eight. We have 11 people on a football field, so we're missing three people. So through deduction, we know we have three wide receivers. So it gives you the whole package just by announcing how many running backs, how many tight ends. It's just kind of shorthand, similar to defenses, you know, with three, four. Three is the number of defensive linemen. Four is the number of lining lining backs, the linebackers. With 11 on the field, that leaves four additional, which means four DBs. Um, Probably was more relevant back in the day, now that we have different personnel packages using multiple, you know, nickel and dime safeties and everything else. It would almost be better to kind of change that because then it's kind of, we don't actually know, you know, I mean, three, four defense, but what if one of your linebackers is a safety? Is it, you know what I mean? But it's just, just, it's just shorthand. But anyways, considering I already answered that, I wanted to go a little bit more in depth for people that already knew that. And I wanted to kind of look at the difference between 11 and 12. So first of all, especially since I'm, I'm just saying things, but I want to give you concrete numbers, right? As, as far as 12 is more of a run heavy thing, 11 is more pass heavy. And the fact that I said pretty much everybody uses 11 personnel more often. Um, that's not true for every team, but I think every tr- team except maybe like two. So on average, NFL teams run 11 personnel 60% of the time, which is, again, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, right? We're very familiar with that um, as Green Bay Packers fans. In 2018, under Mike McCarthy, the Packers ran that like 75% of the time. So whatever formation you're most familiar with, it was probably 11 personnel. Um, 12 personnel is the second most utilized, so it's one running back, two tight ends, and two wide receivers. 
NFL teams run that on average 20% of the time. This is from 2019, at least. These are the numbers. I'm sure this has shifted over time, not going quite that deep into it. Uh, the next most is actually two running backs, one tight end, and two wide receivers, which is a little bit surprising, but it's only run 8% of the time. That's the package that Packer fans seem to love and really want the Packers to run more often because we really like our running backs these days, especially with A.J. Dillon. We love Jamal Williams, so we're hoping that we get to see more 21 personnel or even 22 personnel, which is the next most utilized, which would be two running backs, two tight ends, and one wide receiver. The one wide receiver is a little bit scary, but when your one wide receiver is Devontae Adams, yeah. But that's run on average 4%. And then you've got, I mean, in, in, in terms of teams' utilization of it, um, all the different packages that teams have used in order, uh, 13 personnel, which is one wide receiver, uh, we're talking three tight ends, um, 10 personnel, which is one running back, no tight ends, four wide receivers, 20 personnel, two personnel, I guess, which would be 0-2, which is no running backs, two tight ends, three wide receivers, one personnel, 23-0-0, which is five wide receivers, which is actually only utilized not even 1% of the time. It was 78 times total across 32 teams across the entire, which, I mean, I feel like the Packers back in the day used to utilize um, zero personnel 78 times in a season just for the Packers back in the day. But anyways, Um, then 32 personnel, 31 personnel, three personnel, 30 personnel, four personnel, and then finally one time it was used, one time all year last year, and that's 14 personnel, one running back, four tight ends, zero wide receivers. I don't know who ran, oh, I do know who. It was the, I want to see this play, Tennessee Titan. If anybody can find that clip, I don't know where you would find it or how you would do your research. I'll have to talk to Titan up on that one, see if he knows. Actually, um, four personnel which is zero running backs four tight ends and one wide receiver was run once also that was uh by the cincinnati Bengals. that was run once so i don't know kind of interesting um in terms of utilization the green bay packers are exactly on point as far as being average exactly 60 well not exactly but 60 percent of the time they ran 11 personnel, which is the NFL average, and 20% of the time they ran 12 personnel, which is the NFL average. They actually ran 21 personnel more than average, which again is the personnel that NFL fans seem to love. We want two running backs more often. The Packers ran it last year more often than most teams. 8% is the average, or we ran it 12% of the time. Um, now, as far as me making the claim that uh, 11 is more of a passing thing and 12 is more of a running thing. Now, there's two different ways that you can mean this. On one hand, there is 12 per- there are teams that out of 12 personnel will run more than 50% of the time. On the other hand, there are teams that still pass more than 50% of the time out of 12 personnel, but they run more often out of 12 than they do out of 11, meaning it's still a more you're more likely to run out of 12 than 11. Right? So there's there's two different ways of of looking at that. So out of all 32 teams, there are only 10 that throw more out of 12 personnel than they pass. In other words, 51% of the time or more, they're throwing out of 12 personnel. But there's only two teams that throw more out of 12 than they do out of 11. That's the Baltimore Ravens and the Minnesota Vikings. And it makes sense for the Baltimore Ravens because their best receivers, at least in 2019, are their tight ends. Minnesota, I have no idea why they do that. They just, I don't know. It's very, very weird. I guess with 12 personnel, you have two wide receivers, and they only really had two good wide receivers anyway. So when they had three wide receivers, it was just a decoy (laughs) to get a lighter package so they could run, I guess. I don't know. 
but it's, it's clearly very unusual. And so what we have is even teams that throw more often than run out of 12, generally they're teams that, like the Kansas City Chiefs, they throw a ton, period. So for example, the Kansas City Chiefs throw 50% of the time out of 12 personnel, but they throw 70% of the time out of 11 personnel. So they're still less likely to throw out of 12 than 11. Does that kind of make sense? So what, what, what this essentially means is, and the reason that I'm even bringing any of this up, because some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, and I should have clarified this. A couple days ago when I talked about the personnel packages, it was because Aaron Rodgers made a comment that based on the fact that we're getting more tight ends and, and running backs and whatnot, he believes we're going to see more 12 personnel, meaning we're going to get a little bit away from the three wide receiver sets and more toward the two wide receivers, two tight ends, as opposed to one tight end, three wide receivers. And my conclusion out of that is you're going to see a little bit more running than passing. If we look just at the Green Bay Packers, out of 11 personnel, the Packers pass the ball 71% of the time. So when they're in 11 personnel, three out of four times almost, they're going to be throwing the ball. However, they throw the ball 40% of the time out of 12. That's a massive difference. That's a huge difference. So most of the time in 12, they're running. Most of the time in 11, they're passing. So if we're shifting from 11 to 12, it means we're going to be running more. It doesn't have to mean that necessarily. We could be shifting to more of what the Minnesota Vikings do or or some of these other teams are doing. But I did a little bit of math just for fun, just to kind of give a uh, an idea, I guess. But if the Packers shifted what they did, they ran 984 offensive plays. If we shift a little bit more to what Tennessee does, remember the Packers run 60-40, um, 11, or no, it was 60-20, wasn't it? 60% out of 11, 20% out of 12. If we shift to what Tennessee runs, which is uh, 59% and 30%, so 11 is the same, but we up it 10% out of, um, out of 12 per- personnel, that would account for 113 less passes on the season and 93 more rushes on the season. So just something to keep an eye on. Some other interesting tidbits. We don't necessarily have to do, in other words, it doesn't have to necessarily be Tennessee. That's just one example of what the Packers could be slightly shifting to. And we don't even know if there's a shift. I've been saying I believe there's going to be a shift anyways because that's what everybody that runs this scheme does. The first year, you kind of just stick to what you've been doing, whether it's Shanahan or... You know, Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, although we haven't really seen Matt LaFleur in year two yet, uh, Sean McVay, all these guys, that first year, it's still kind of, we're still going to be pass heavy or whatever, but over time, we're going to shift more to a run heavy assault. So I've been expecting it anyways, but it doesn't have to be just, we're going to shift a little bit less 11 and then use that proportionally into 12. There are a couple other examples. For example, Minnesota and San Francisco, two teams that run very similar styles of offense. Obviously, San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan is exactly what what uh, Matt LaFleur runs but also in Minnesota they have a very similar style those two teams Minnesota which is the only team not the only team but they they run 11 personnel less than anybody else remember 60% of the time is what generally teams run out of 11 Minnesota runs 11 personnel 25% of the time and you think well it's because they don't have good wide receivers yeah that's correct that's correct So if you primarily just want to use two wide receivers, you don't need 11 very often, do you? Now, that just comes down to what you think of the wide receiver, or what Matt LaFleur thinks of the wide receivers. But So Minnesota runs that 25% of the time. They run 12 personnel 34% of the time, which is really high. But they also run 21 personnel, two running backs and one tight end, two wide receivers, 21% of the time. The average is eight. If you look at San Francisco, another really crazy one, 
They run 11 personnel 40% of the time, which isn't as drastic as Minnesota. And they run 12 personnel 18% of the time, which is rated right about dead average, but 21 personnel, which is two backs, one tight end, two wide receivers, 28% of the time. Their second biggest package is 21 personnel. And again, you think to the fact that we have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon and think, is it really that crazy that the Packers would run their second biggest package is 21 personnel? It's not that crazy. So we don't know exactly what the plan is, but there's a lot of different examples that we can look to that isn't just what we're familiar with, which is the Mike Mike McCarthy, we run 11 personnel 80% of the time, and we pass constantly. We get three wide receivers, we spread them out, and we just throw, 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 throw. Those days are over. The question is, what are we shifting towards? And how drastically are we shifting? Is it going to be, you know, from 60-20, we're going to be... You know, 55-23, and then we're going to bump 21 personnel up to 15%, so slight shift a little bit here and there? Or is it going to be a drastic shift? And also, I mean, let's, let's not leave out 22 personnel. We really like our tight ends. We really like our running back. So two tight ends, two running backs, one wide receiver. It's not impossible we see a little bit of that. I mean, the Packers ran that 36 times. That was 3% of their snaps were in 22 personnel. And that's when we... That's before DeGuara and before Jace kind of got his, his footing. So we, we're, we're rocking Mercedes and, um, and Jimmy Graham and uh, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Now we have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, and we have Jace and DeGuara. Not Jason DeGuara, Jace and DeGuara. I'm not saying it wrong. You're just not hearing me properly. <laughs> it does kind of sound like I'm saying Jason, though, right? It's not Jason DeGuara. It's Jace and DeGuara. Anyways, so, I, I, you know good chance that that 36 snaps at 22 personnel also gets a pretty big bump because again and and it depends if we like what we have is jace ready is deguara ready if not are we going to run with mercedes if not maybe we don't see as much 22 but then we're also not going to see a lot of 12 because that's also two tight two tight ends and that's exactly what aaron Rodgers said we're going to be doing is seeing more two tight ends right so again for the 500th time this is also why there is not a big emphasis put on wide receivers because we have a number one that we love. We have a number two that we're comfortable with. And we've got a couple other wide receivers that we like. And we're not going to be utilizing as much. Because we're not using three wide receivers as much. Now, Again, none of this is a guarantee. But I already told you this is coming. Because Matt LaFleur is a part of the system that in year two really ramps up the amount of times. Let, let me just very quickly run through it again for those that did not hear the episode. So you know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes I say things and then it just becomes concrete. And I repeat it without you know, showing you the evidence again, and people are just kind of like, he just keeps saying it, but I don't think it's true. Let me just very quickly run through it. So when Kyle Shanahan took over for the San Francisco 49er, they threw the ball second most in the NFL. They ran the ball 22nd in the NFL. So they were a pass-happy team when Kyle Shanahan first got there. That's weird, isn't it? In Kyle Shanahan's second year with the San Francisco 49er, they passed 20th. They went from second to 20th and from, I think I said, 22nd to 11th in rushing. And then in year three, they passed 29th and rushed second. So in two years, they went from the second most passing team to the second most rushing team in the NFL. This is a common theme with the Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan type guys. It's when we first get there, we just, for whatever reason, we just pass. That's what the NFL does. 
we, we're new to the system. We don't really understand how to run properly yet. I haven't quite implemented and gotten through to the offensive line the way in which I like to run. These guys suck at it, so we're not going to do it very often because they're bad at running the ball. When I try to get them to run the way that I want them to, it's a mess. It's a disaster. And now look at them. Now look what the 49ers did to us. How beautiful it looks when they run the ball. They have perfected it. That's what Matt LaFleur is trying to get going here. It takes time. And we can take this as far back as the 1995 Denver Broncos, which is actually probably, and I I said this in the episode, this is a great example of what we're seeing with Aaron Rodgers because when Mike Shanahan, who's Kyle Shanahan's dad, former NFL coach, when he took over for the Denver Broncos in 1995, he took over for a Hall of Fame quarterback who was getting older and was starting to see a decline in his play. Mike Shanahan took over in 1995. That first year they went 8-8. and They passed 7th most. With their Hall of Fame quarterback, so it makes sense, they ran 16th most in the NFL. So pretty average in terms of running the ball. They threw the ball a lot. In year two, 1996, they went 13-3. They passed 16th most, so pretty average in terms of passing, second most rushing team in the NFL in year two. In year three, although the the rushing went to sixth, the the passing dropped to 20th. So they're passing even less. They went 12-4. and This is clearly a team that runs the ball a lot. Now, in terms of actual passing, it's pretty even. They passed 513 times. They rushed 520 times. But the point is, this is this is an NFL that passes more than they run. And in Denver, it's about 50-50 in terms of whether or not they're going to run or they're going to pass. And this is, again, with a Hall of Fame quarterback. But it, And if you want to know why I keep saying this might actually help Aaron Rodgers, not just in terms of being better, but in terms of his statistics, in 1997, uh, the year that we're talking about, when they went 12-4, and when they're running the ball actually more in terms of actual plays than they're passing the ball, John Elway went to the Pro Bowl. In fact, 1995, that first year they took over when everything was bad, um, they went 8-8 eight and eight and everything was a problem. So... <laughs> It's it's amazing how reminiscent this is, and this is why I want you to get excited. Not that it's a guarantee, but it's something to take into consideration. So the the, the reason that um, Mike Shanahan took over for Wade Phillips for the Denver Broncos is the fact that this is a fantastic team with a Hall of Fame quarterback who started in 1983. So we're talking 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So he had 12 years in. In his 13th year, um, Mike Shanahan took over for Wade Phillips. This is a fantastic quarterback who had gone to the Pro Bowl one, two, three, four, five, six different times. However, in the last several seasons, they went eight and four, nine and seven, seven and seven, and that's when Wade Phillips lost his job and Mike Shanahan took over. In the next three years, after that one year where he's implementing his system, the next year when it finally takes hold, John Elway went to the to the Pro Bowl three years in a row. We're talking about year two of this system. Just keep that in mind when we're talking about Aaron Rodgers and the parallel. Three years in a row, the last three years of his career, he went to the Pro Bowl. Their record was 13-2, and 12-4, and four, and 10-2. and 10-2. and two. Oh, he must not have played the rest of the year. Anyways, he, he as a quarterback went 10-2. and two. Anybody else know anything interesting about this time period? In year two of the system, they went to the playoffs. They lost that first game. In year, um, th- year three of the system, they won the Super Bowl. That was the year that they beat the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl. So not only is John Elway getting better and reclaiming some of that magic that seemed to have been lost for the Denver Broncos and for the um, for John Elway, he's getting old, the team's getting decrepit, it's falling apart, but this change in the system, which kind of takes the ball out of John Elway's hands and makes it a little bit more run-heavy, but also makes him much more efficient and actually improves his statistics in a lot of categories, 
helps the team overall, helps John Elway overall. They go from an 8-8 eight and eight team, a team that hasn't won 10 games in four years, to a team that's winning 13 games a season, who goes to the playoffs every year, and in year three wins a Super Bowl, something that most people probably assumed it's too late for that. That's what we're trying to recapture. So anyways, that's, that's sort of the background of why we're even talking about this and why I believe we're going to be shifting to a much more run-heavy offense, because that's just what happens. That's what people in this scheme, the Shanahan-type scheme, do and have been doing since, I believe, even the 80s. It goes back even further than this. But we'll, we'll, we'll say back in the mid-90s with, with Mike Shanahan. So how's that for answering that question? <laughs> but, that, but that's also why I'm excited, and, and people think that I'm, you know too heavy on we're going to push Aaron Rodgers out and push Jordan Love in. I, I think that's the long-term plan. Obviously, that's why we draft him. But I'm also very optimistic that, again, as I've said a thousand times, if Aaron Rodgers can lean into this, and we know he likes the system. We heard those comments back when the Packers under Mike McCarthy played the 49ers, and he talked about how he was on the sideline just enamored with the stuff that they were doing on offense, and now we have that here. So I know he appreciates the system. I know he's not a dummy, and he knows that this can help. It's just, It's just a, you know, I don't know. How's it, how's it going to go? We'll have to see. There's a lot of wait-and-see type things, but there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic as well. Uh, the next question comes from, I'm not sure, came from an unknown number, and I don't know if his name is Tom or if he thinks my name is Tom. Um, my name, for the record, is Ryan. Just throwing that out there. But we'll, we'll just say his name is Tom, and we'll get to, <laughs> get to our next question. Thank you, Jeremy, by the way, for calling. Appreciate that. Hey, Tom. Thanks for the show. Love what you do. What grinds my gears, why did we bring back Sean Menenga to do the special teams? I mean, did LaFleur not watch the same games that, that, that we watched all year? Because our special teams was about to set the record as the worst special teams in history. I just don't understand why Menenga earned a chance to come back this year. Anyways, thanks. Thanks for what you do. Looking forward to hearing your answer. So it's a it's a good question, and I don't obviously have the exact answer, but I, I have two thoughts on why that that would happen. The first is it's pretty clear, obviously, as you somewhat half pointed out, that to start with, we were on track to be the worst special teams in history, but then that went away which kind of points to what we already know, and that is that it, it did get better toward the end of the year. Not that it was necessarily good, but it, it went from being a really big problem to something we just don't really even think about anymore. Now, it's frustrating, and I know we want, you know, when you hire somebody, it should be like a Mike Smith thing. You come in, you make everybody elite, and, and then you keep your job. Otherwise, you lose your job, and we find somebody that can do it better. But the other thing I would point to is the fact that Sometimes things take time. We, we give everybody else time. We, we gave Mike Pettin a second year because hopefully in the second year things get better, and it did. We assume year two under Matt LaFleur will get better, and I think it will. I think Sean Menenga should be given that same opportunity. I, I forgot. I think it was uh, like the Draft Dudes or something. I was listening to their podcast, and they just went through how critical it is to allow a young quarterback to have the same system. They went basically through the list of, of young quarterbacks who have had different systems like Sam Darnold and, you know, whoever, uh, Baker Mayfield, guys who have consistently changing offensive coordinators tend to be the worst quarterback. When you look at, for example, um, Lamar Jackson, he was really terrible in his first year. I mean, really, really bad. That playoff performance, as I've said, that he put together was maybe the worst thing I've ever seen from a quarterback ever in the history of quarterbacking. 
he is now considered one of the best quarterbacks in football because in his second year, something clicked. Some things take time to learn. Sean Menenga brings a certain system, right? There's there's general how you do special teams and you hope that he can kind of teach it, but he has a way of, of, of doing things, right? Special teams is no different than offense and defense or whatever. And a lot of it comes down to getting the same guys to understand the same things, really learning their assignments and, and doing it right. And, and the Packers came to the determination clearly that the problem at least was less to do with Sean Menenga not teaching things properly and more to do with guys not understanding their assignments properly. And they're giving him at least another year, another opportunity to learn it and do it properly, right? Because if something's wrong, it could be the coach, it could be the players, it could just be that guys just need to learn stuff. So I would give it another year, and I think if things are bad again, now we can start talking about, okay, this guy needs to go. Uh, There's also the third issue of who's better, right? It's not as though there's elite special teamers that are just sitting out there. I just, for fun, went and looked at um, the number one special teams uh, unit out there, and it's the Kansas City Chiefs. That Their special teams coach, I think, has been there since 2013, and he's being recognized as a potential um, head coach. Some people are, are thinking he might be a, a top head coaching candidate. Similar things were true, I think, with the Patriots, although they have a new one now. Uh, last year, they were, I think, the second best special teams unit, and they, their guy that they had was there, I think, since 2012. So, you know, sometimes stuff just takes time, and, and you, you see that, like with the 49ers. Everybody just assumes, oh, they're so elite and Kyle Shanahan's great. Do we remember how garbage the 49ers were for like three years? Do we do we remember that? They were just putrid. They were an embarrassment. Nobody even expected them to be good last year because they've been a joke for so long. And now they're an elite team because something, everything just kind of clicked. You know, we, we've got the right guys. Granted, they've been drafting really high for a long time, but they were doing that for several years prior to getting Bosa. That was just kind of the cherry on top. Bosa's in one of the better pass rushers in all of football right now, on top of really getting this offensive system under Shanahan dialed in, and uh, their defensive coordinator, who's a very talented guy. But but of course, again, he's only recognized as one of the better defensive coordinators because suddenly everything clicked. If they were bad again, he wouldn't be seen. Uh, what is it, Salah? Wouldn't be seen as one of the better defensive coordinators. It's, he's only seen that way because it's so good right now. And part of that has to do with talent. Part of it has to do with he's just been given opportunities to be there for a long period of time and just kind of get this all dialed in. And technically it was year three for the 49ers defense, right? Salah has been there with the 49ers since Shanahan got there in 2017, back when it was a garbage team. And they've stacked talent for that guy. I mean, early first-round picks constantly going to the defense. So that that's it. That's, as much as I, I understand it and, you know, it, it wouldn't have been surprising if Sean Menenga got fired, but the bottom line is they didn't come to the determination that, that uh, Menenga was the problem. So maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We'll see how it goes. Thank you, Tom, for the call. <laughs> oh, man. I love my side job. All right, next question. Possibly, possibly uh, last question. We'll see. I've got a few more, but again, I haven't even really dug into them yet. We'll see how it goes. This is from Jeremy again, but this time from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Jeremy, different Jeremy. Hi, Ryan. Jeremy from Wisconsin, uh, from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Just want to know your thoughts on what were the or what the most intense battles so far in camp have been so far, and what players do you feel that are most on the bubble? All right, thanks. Bye. So I don't know for those of you that watch The Office, you remember that scene where Aaron who is the secretary, starts freaking out when Pam tells her there's there's something coming in, just take care of it or whatever, and she's, she's 
just loses it. What, what do you mean? What do you, what, what do you, what, what do you mean in order? What, what is that? I don't understand what you're talking about. That's kind of me with some of these questions because I overanalyze everything. Because there's a million different ways, simple questions. There's a million different ways that you can take these questions. For example, most intense camp battle. I mean, you know, what's the best way to answer that question? What does that mean exactly? So my thought was, um, I can pull up my right notes here. If it's going to be an intense intense battle that matters, there has to be intense implication, meaning the winner gets a job and the loser doesn't. Now, that could be the starting job compared to the, you know, sitting on the bench job. It could mean one of you is on the team and one of you gets cut. But there has to be some kind of implications that matter depending on what happens at the end of it. So, for example, the quarterback battle isn't really a battle. Because we know who the starter is, and we know both of the other guys are backups. You could say there's a battle between the number two jobs, but that's not really intense. Plus, Jordan Love is losing that handily. Um, And then the other qualification is that there needs to be some kind of competition. Again, that's technically a battle, but it's not a battle because it's not close. So it has to be close, and it has to have big implication. So again, quarterback doesn't really fit. Um, you could look at the number three wide receiver spot, but again, as I said yesterday, the problem is I don't know if they're fighting for the same job between Equinemius and MVF. Plus, if we're utilizing two, t- two wide receivers more often, the number three job isn't as important. So you could say the MVS EQ thing matters, but again, it kind of could just be MVS is the, the number three boundary guy and EQ is going to be the slot guy. I don't really know. Well, then you could say, well, the number five wide receiver battle is the most important between Bagleton and you know, whoever, Shepard, but I don't care, man. Um, Tight end, you know, everybody's kind of got a a job, and it's kind of, you know, Sternberger, we know what, he's going to be the new Jimmy Graham. He's going to be the guy in the slot 50% of the time and in line, you know, the other 50% or whatever. Uh, DeGuaro's going to be the H-back. Mercedes is going to be kind of a limited snap, kind of a run-blocking, pass-blocking, in-line tight end. Tanyan is just sort of a backup, mostly in-line. So uh, there's no real competition. It's just everybody kind of has their jobs. Offensive line, I think there are some competitions, but I couldn't even enunciate them to you because I don't know exactly where we're at, right? Some people would say that the right tackle battle is intense. I don't think it's a battle at all. I think if Rick Wagner is healthy, he's the right tackle, end of story. Um, there's other battles, but I you know, I don't, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know who's staying. I don't know who's getting cut. There might be plans that, you know, this guy isn't even going to be on the team. I don't know who's playing what position. So I, I, I couldn't really lay out what the battles even are other than there's a lot of guys doing a lot of stuff and it's just kind of a lot of pieces and the Packers have to puzzle together who's going to be the starters, where those starters are going to play, who the backups are going to be, and where those backups are going to play. So it's important for the guys that are there to play well, but I, I couldn't tell you what the exact mono mono battles are. Um, defensive tackle, similarly, is just a matter of there's a pile of guys and somebody needs to step up. You know, we just need Kiki to, to really step. I mean, all these guys are largely probably, you know, Dean Lowry's going to be on the team. Kingsley Kiki's going to be on the team. Uh, Lancaster's probably going to be on the team. But we just need guys to step up, right? Kiki and Lowry are not in competition with one another. We just need them to play better. So really, for me, what it came down to, there's, there's two areas in which there are battles that I think are... Another one that's kind of close would be cornerback, I guess. Uh, we know who the top three are. The, who's the number four cornerback, right? So we've got Jair, we've got uh, King, and we've got Josh Jackson. Oh, and, and I'm sorry, so we have four. Who's the number five? Presumably it's Josh Jackson as the number four, I'm assuming. that. So it's it's kind of just, is it Stanford Samuels or is it Kadar Holman? And then if we're keeping six, then it just doesn't matter anyway. So again, that, that one is not all that interesting. The, the two battles that I think are, are kind of worthy and, and exciting to watch um, is the number four edge, 
which sounds kind of dumb, but really we've got Zadarius, we've got Preston, we've got Rashawn, and then we've got a bunch of guys that are that are. I mean, it's not insignificant who the number four is because they may get playing time. And there's a bunch of guys that we don't even know who they are, right? These are not guys that have played for us before. They're no names, but not only are they no names, which is scary, but they're all doing really well. And there's some intriguing names that I think are kind of exciting that can bring a certain dynamic. The other battle would be inside linebacker next to Christian Kirksey, right? The the When we started all this, the assumption was it's Christian Kirksey most of the time, and then it's going to be Oren Burks, right? Kirksey and Burksey was kind of my thing. But ever since they kind of called it out and said this is an open competition, we're seeing a lot of guys, all three, Ty Summers, uh, Chris, uh, <laughs> Kamal Martin, and um, Oren Burks kind of stepping up and making plays. But um, at uh, off the edge, the, the names that we're watching are Jonathan Garvin, who was the Packers' seventh-round pick. Um, We've got Trayvon Hester, we've got Tim Williams, we've got Tippa Galea, and we got Randy Ramsey. These guys are all fighting for that number four spot. Jonathan Garvin was a draft pick. A lot of people really liked Garvin, thought he could potentially be maybe like a fourth-round pick or something. Some even had him on their boards in the top 100, which would make them a third-round pick. I think the, the draft network or some of the guys there might have had him as like a top 100 player. So a lot of guys liked him. He's had some good notes over, over the past few weeks. And um, But the other interesting little tidbit here is the guy that's probably stood out the most is Tipigalea. The weird thing about Tipigalea is that he's six foot five, two 229 pounds. He's small for an inside linebacker. I mean, he, he's small. He would have been too small for uh, Dom Capers, much less uh, Mike Pettin, who likes 270-pound guys off the edge. But he's been consistently beating everybody, and you kind of wonder, well, could they possibly? I mean, he's on the team for a reason. If he's too small, they wouldn't have picked him up. Could he possibly be sort of that Kyler Fackrell player who you put him in on a third down, you know, third and long-ish, you know, on third and ten you put in, not that you would have to, but you could use typical Leia to just tee off on guys or drop into coverage if he can show that dynamic, which I think, as much as we're hearing about him beating guys in one-on-ones, not only do we need to see him beat better competition, but I think it's going to be important for him to prove that he can drop into coverage because at his size, that's going to be where he really kind of stands out. But I think that number four spot is going to be interesting to watch. I don't know how many they're going to keep but it's going to be at least four, so some of these guys are going to step up. I do expect Jonathan Garvin to, well, I shouldn't say that, because they could put him on the practice squad. Um, They're not going to cut Jonathan Garvin, because he's a draft pick, and and almost never do guys just get cut outright when you're drafted. Um, And then linebacker, the only reason this isn't the clear number one spot is because I do think it's mostly just going to be Christian Kirksey out there, so the number two isn't going to be quite as important. However, it's not even impossible that, because Kamal Martin is the, the guy that's really been standing out. I don't know that it's impossible that he starts seeing some starting spots just by himself. Whether that's situationally, and maybe, you know, on some situations it's it's just Kamal Martin out there as a linebacker, and other situations it's just Kirksey, and sometimes it's both of them. I don't know. I mean, it's just training camp, so it, this might be nothing, and he might still be just a terrible football player. But the last few days, he stood out more so than Christian Kirksey. So those, those are the, the battles that I think are most interesting and that will have uh, some impact on the season. Obviously, linebacker will have the biggest impact on the actual season because who's actually starting and then who's going to be the number two and how well do those guys play. But also, again, we're going to have some edge rushers that we, we did not have in prior years. right? We're going to have to learn some new names, and, and they bring some new dynamics, and it's just kind of an exciting thing. As far as the second part of your question, again, kind of the whole, you know, what does it mean most on the bubble? The, the the way I can assume that this question would be, that you would want the question asked, is who's the closest to being on the team that I think is going to get cut? Because obviously I could just say Demaria Crockett and we can call it a day because, you know, obviously it, 
not to be mean, but I mean, he's not starting, right? He's a running back that hasn't, I haven't heard his name once, probably because they're not even giving him opportunities. So some presumptive starters or guys that possibly could have been on the team last year that I think might not be, just to list a couple names. I've mentioned a few times, I think Kumaro, there's a good chance he doesn't make the team. I know a lot of people disagree and expect big things from Kumaro. I just really don't. I think um, I think that's more or less run its course. And I think you've got EQ ahead. I think you've got MVS ahead. I think you've got, um, you know, plus, again, he, he when he joined the team, he was already getting up in eight. And, uh, you know, outside of a few splash plays like twice a year, you know, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he made the team, but I, I just I would say that he's a guy that I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he didn't make the final cut. Uh, another guy is Begleton. A lot of people just assume he's going to be top tier because they go watch him at the CFL and see that he dominated everybody in the CFL, and that gets him excited. Um, but, I mean, that would be like watching, you know, Division Three Kumaro dominate everybody and getting excited. It's it, it's different competition level. Maybe not the best example because Kumaro's doing something, but I, I went through that whole thing already, right? It, it, I don't even think Begleton was the best wide receiver in all of, of Canadian football, and those other guys can't even get a shot. So I, I, I don't care about how well he did over there. It's a completely different situation. I mean, it literally means less than guys who dominate in college football because guys that dominate in college football end up going to the pros and doing pretty well. Guys that dominate in um, Canadian football are guys that um, didn't dominate in college football and couldn't even get a workout in the NFL that went to Canadian football. So, I, I mean, he, he could absolutely make the team, and he's had a couple splash plays here and there, but I, the only reason I put him there is because I think the gap between how much fans like him and how much he's actually putting out, there's a, there's a pretty big gap. So I want to at least say his name. I, I don't see him as a lock by any stretch. If I had to put, you know, I, I, I don't think he's been as impressive as Darius Shepard, and he doesn't bring the special teams dynamic. So it's gonna, he's got a, a, a big, it's, it's, a, it's a rough climb. Um, possibly Montrevious. I think the assumption was this is his last year to prove what he can do, but I do think he's getting buried. I don't think he's shown much, and now he's hurt. And the fact that he's hurt, you know, the Packers, when you start trying to cut down the 53, you got some tough decisions. You always, those last few especially, there's some you, you can shave off pretty easily. You don't really have to think about it. They would never say that, but let's face the facts. That's what it is. Um, but when you get down to those last couple, it's really difficult because you want to keep those guys. So when you look at it, you could say, you know what, Montrevious has never done anything. He's not even going to play the first few weeks because he's in. I don't know if that's the case. But if that is the case that he can't even play, that might be a pretty easy cut to where it's like, you know what, let's just cut bait now. This was his last opportunity to prove to us that he deserves to get a big boy contract. Not a big contract, but to actually get paid, not on your rookie deal, and be a contributor to this team, which he has not done to this point. So that's a possibility. Um... I think Ty Summers, there's a good chance he doesn't make the team. A lot of people are super excited. If you listen to other podcasts and everything else, they're talking about how great he is and what a great dynamic he brings. Ty Summers is a guy that, that the fans have really liked for a long time because he's really fast. That has never done anything. I mean, I think he's been actually quite bad in practice. It has. There have been some encouraging signs of him like laying into A.J. Dillon, which is impressive because that's what he needs to be able to do to prove that you can shed block. We know you can run fast. Can you shed a block and tackle a guy that's really big and really strong? So again, I'm not assuming it, but Kirksey's a lock. Kamal Martin is a lock, and I think they want to see Oren Burks, and I don't think there's a guarantee they keep four inside linebackers. Now, maybe they just get rid of Oren Burks, which would really shake things up, um, I, I think Oren Burks is in the exact same category as Montrevious Adams. He's got one more year to prove he's not a terrible football player, which is what he's been up to this point. And it, as much as everybody wants to play my favorite line in the world, when he's healthy, he's great. No, 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 no. He's been healthy, and he's been terrible. And he's also been hurt. 
He's never once proven that he's a good football player. The only time we've ever heard about it is that he's he runs stride for stride with guys, um, which demonstrates some kind of athleticism, but the guy still catches it because it was terrible coverage, and then he makes a quick tackle because he's at least close enough to make the tackle. I mean, I you know, I, I don't like being super harsh about it, but he just has never been good at anything. So I think they're going to give him another shot, but maybe they just don't. I don't know. But but they're not going to give that job to Ty Summers because he's now he's 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 a lesser version of Oren Burke. He just he's he's been as impressive with less upside. So no, get rid of Ty, give Oren another shot, and at the very least, you got two guys you like. You got um, Oren who maybe could just be situational, maybe you know whatever. I don't know. Probably just don't end up playing them, and it's just kind of an in case of emergency break glass kind of a player. If there's a bunch of of injuries, we'll just throw them out there. Otherwise, maybe we'll just grab somebody off of waivers, which we've done in the past, right? B.J. Goodson and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out, we move on from Oren, and we just go back to the draft and get another sixth-round guy that we can plug in and be not great but can kind of do some stuff. So, yeah, I I don't think too much of Ty Summers' uh, chances of making the team. The last guy I would mention is Will Redmond, uh, safety that's been with us for some time. Undrafted free agent that's kind of, you know, he's – He's, he's one of those guys. He's good enough, right? In case of emergency, we throw him out there, and he does a decent enough job. You don't love that he's there, but, you know, it's good enough. But I think with Raven Green coming back, that kind of pushes him down the depth chart. Then you've also got um, Vernon Scott, who we drafted, that's done some pretty nice things. It was a seventh-round pick, but, again, you got Adrian Amos, you got Darnell Savage, you've got um, Raven Green is back, and you got Vernon Scott. I think all four of those guys make the team, and I think that could push Will Redmond out. So that would be somebody else to keep an eye on. Um, There was, so we are going to stop here, but there was one other voicemail I wanted to play. And uh, here is that voicemail. Yo, what up, Pack Nation? This is Josh from uh, New Jersey, living in Texas currently. Josh, thank you very much for that question. (laughs) Listen, man, you know I can't play that. You know I can't. I'll I'll give you the airtime, and I will offer uh, the... I'll extend the offer anytime you want to call and rant and scream about something that's on your mind. You go ahead and do it. I don't mind. But um, if it gets political or laced with profanities or both, I can't play it, man. So, but Josh, thanks for calling in. But anyways, I've got uh, a couple others. We've got two from Andy, and I feel bad because Andy calls all the time, and almost never do I get to his questions. And he finally called, and he made it concise so that it would be on here. But we are, I mean, I'm looking at 51 minutes in. You guys are even further ahead because of commercials and whatnot. We're pushing an hour. But I've got two here from Andy, and I've got one that looks like Bruce. So um, I will be getting to those. Hopefully tomorrow we'll see what happens with training camp. Um, Otherwise, please just keep calling in, man. We're going to get to them. I really enjoy doing this. It really helps me to kind of dig into some stuff. And, um, again, I just appreciate everybody that, uh, that did that. And keep brainstorming about that idea. Figure something out. Otherwise, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Thursday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.